And I repeat, I'm glad to be here this morning. It's a privilege. I haven't been at this church in, oh, I don't know how many years it's been. Boy, it's been a long time. But uh, when I was a young fellow, I, I came to this church every once in a while. We had a lot of uh, young people that were buddies of ours from Youth for Christ days, and so we come to Riverside Baptist Church. But it's nice to be here. I'm glad to see all you young people. Hi. I've been watching you. I heard that noise, that whatever it was that you dropped over there. I heard about it. But I work with young people, and they're the greatest. They really are. Of course, they're the most trying, too, but they're the greatest. And uh, as you, for some of you who may not know, we have a Circle C Ranch. That's a camp where we take about 200 kids a week in the summertime. And we've been fortunate. Our camp's been jammed out with a waiting list. But then we have 50 horses. We have a couple stagecoaches. We have shootouts. We have everything else the kids like. And uh, But above all, we have the privilege of winning young people to Jesus Christ by literally now it's turned out to be the thousands. And it's been just exciting as exciting can be. And I'm thrilled with what God has already done, and I'm looking forward to the future with real anticipation of what he's going to do out there at uh, what we call Cowtown. We're putting up a gymnasium, then an indoor swimming pool, and then a beautiful indoor riding arena. And these three buildings are going to be big expense, but then God, when he wants them up, he'll have them up, and we'll be running every day of the week. We're going to have regular riding classes, teaching young people how to ride, to rope, how to, for the fellows to do bulldogging and all the rest like they do in rodeo time. And then we're going to have a swimming pool, and we plan on having a sauna and a whirlpool. That's for the older people so they can enjoy it for weekend retreats. But we'll be going every day of the week out there once we get our buildings up. And uh, we're excited about it, and you'll be hearing something about it, I'm sure, in the next few weeks because we're going to be making it known as to what's taking place. We made a film this summer. Had a company come in and do a film, a 10-minute promotional film, and that'll be ready hopefully the middle of next month, and we'll be using that as well to let people know what's going on out there at Circle C Ranch. But uh, this morning I want to share with you something that God's laid on my heart, and uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 27. By the way, it's good to hear you go for your Bibles, and tonight when you come, and I trust you'll be here, bring your friends with you, bring your Bible along, we'll be using it. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to begin reading with verse 11. Matthew chapter 27, begin to read with verse 11. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? And he answered them to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, uh, uh, and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, 
He delivered him to be crucified. Now, this is our scripture this morning, and I want to share with you in the time allotted about the most unusual man that ever lived. Now, for you young people, you go to school where I'm sure you have a lot of teachers that are what we call atheists, agnostics, heathen. You go to school with kids that are exactly the same, atheists, agnostics, and heathen. And a lot of times, I've, ha I've done this in Sunday school class, it's been a little embarrassment, so I've cut it out. But I've asked the young people, and I've had the privilege of holding crusades, and I'm taking a young people's class, how many of you kids believe the Bible? And they'll put their hands up, and I'll say, okay, let's just take a few minutes to find out why. And I'll go down the line, I'll say, now, why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? You'd be amazed at the answers I hear. The most answer you hear most of the time is, well, Mom and Dad believe it. Now, kids, get in on this this morning, because we have here in this book one of the most fantastic proofs that the Bible is the Word of God. It has to be. And that is in the person of Jesus Christ himself. He was the most unusual man that ever lived. Unusual how? Unusual first in the fact that his birth was foretold hundreds of years before it ever happened. As we, Dr. Gallup of the famous Gallup poll said, what we call compound probability of mathematics, that's a big long word, and I'll explain it to you in a moment, demands divine inspiration. Man couldn't write this book, give you a case in point. We take our atomic bomb. Up till 1942, the scientists laughed at the Word of God. Why? Peter, the old fisherman, 1900 years ago said, the earth is going to be dissolved and completely burned up. They said, that's ridiculous. If you brought the sun down to the earth, it couldn't do it. It can't happen. But then God allowed man to split the atom, and now the hydrogen bombs which are, which are detonated are literally thousands of times hotter than the sun. They do not blow our earth apart. They actually melt it, burn it up, and disintegrate it. How did Peter know? He wrote that 1,900 years ago. Wait a minute. He didn't stop there. Peter said, the heavens that God has made are going to burn up and be dissolved as well. That was another big joke until September 30th, 1963. Mount Palomar, California, the largest telescope men in the world, they saw a view of something they had never seen in the history of the world that they knew of. They saw an entire galaxy of at least 500 million stars disintegrate. They didn't know what caused it. Since that time, 14 years ago, galaxy after galaxy after galaxy is dissolving. One great astronomer said, we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, the moment it hits our Milky Way, that's our galaxy, our Earth will be ashes in seconds. How did Peter know? He didn't. God said, Peter, write it. I'm going to dissolve the Earth. I'm going to dissolve the heavens, and I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Here we find in the person of Jesus Christ another fantastic proof. The Bible's the Word of God. Hundreds of years before he was born, it was recorded in Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of, e out of thee shall he come forth who is molden for everlasting. One in thousands of towns, to be correct. Yet he came from Bethlehem. Wait a minute, you go back to the book of Isaiah, 750 to 800 years before it happened. Isaiah said, he's going to come from the family of Jesse. He's going to be virgin-born. Virgin-born was unheard of. He's not going to have an earthly father. That's what the Bible said. And of course, he didn't. God was his father. He's going to come from the family of Jesse, one in thousands of families, to be correct. Just where did he come from? Family of Jesse. 
Go back to the book of Genesis, 1,500 years before it happened. It's recorded, He is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Shiloh, the Christ, shall come from the tribe of Judah. One in thousands of tribes, to be correct. Did you know when Jesus Christ came the first time, gang, He fulfilled over 300 prophecies about Himself, and not one was missed? Every single one was fulfilled. To have that happen by chance, there are hardly enough numbers in the universe. It just can't happen. I won't take time this morning to go into all the details of what they did, but two great uh, astronomers and scientists, two great men of God, went and they took 50 colleges and got thousands of students to participate. And they went and they gave, they asked them if they participate. These are not Christian schools, secular schools. They said, we'd like to give you the background of these 48 questions. And we'd like to have you give us an estimate of what chance you think they'd have to guess it. And they took these, these thousands of answers, put them into a computer, and it came out there'd be one chance in eight with 63 zeros after to have just those 48 out of the over 300 prophecies about Jesus come true. They didn't take the highest. They didn't take the lowest. They took the norm. One in eight with 63,000, uh, 63 zeros after it. That's a number so big you can't even fathom it. So they went to work with the computer, and they found out how many silver dollars that would be. We had a pile of silver dollars where eight with 63 zeros after it. You could make our world with solid with silver dollars. There are at least 100,000 stars in our galaxy. There are at least 2 trillion galaxies with 100 billion stars in them. And if you took them all and you could make them of solid silver dollars, it would take you 21 years to use up all the silver dollars if you were doing it every minute of every hour. That's a mass so big you can't even imagine it. Yet if you take one silver dollar and put an X on both sides, you drop it into that mass and you stir it up and you tell a teenager, here, take the blindfold, find it. It would take them five billion years at 60 miles an hour just to cover our galaxy. What chance would they have to find it? The same chance these men had to get 48 prophecies correct. That begins to stagger you, doesn't it? This is the Word of God. Dear people, I hold in my hand the most precious book in all this world and one of the tragedies today. Born-again believers malign this precious book. You don't read it. You don't study it. You don't memorize it. Want to have an embarrassing situation? Try it sometime. It'll embarrass you. Get a group of people that have come together for prayer meeting. Say, I want all of you to give a verse of Scripture one at a time, and we will not repeat. Just quote the verse of Scripture. John 3, 16 will be number one. Maybe Genesis 1, 1, John 1, 1, and you get about five or six, and all of a sudden it's dead silence because nobody knows their Bible. They don't memorize their word, the Word of God. This is the most precious book in the world. Hide in your heart. Hey, kids, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse away? By heeding thereunto the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Jesus was the most unusual man that ever lived. Unusual in the fact that his birth was foretold hundreds of years before it ever happened. Second, unusual in the birth announcement. When a baby's born, you pass out birth announcements. God's boy was born, listen to the announcement. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. There he came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. They had a right to be. It, was, it must have been an awesome sight. And there the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What a birth announcement. There's never been one like it. Never been an announcement like it, the most unusual birth announcement the world's ever known. He was unusual in his birth that was foretold hundreds of years before it happened. Unusual in the way it took place in that he was virgin born. Unusual in the fact that the announcement was so different. But then the Bible tells us he was going to be born in Bethlehem, but it doesn't give us a street. It doesn't give us an address. Where? God took one of the quadrillion of stars that he made, led the wise men, hung over the place where the Christ child lay, and they could find the street and the address. The most unusual birth the world's ever known. When they came to Jesus, they did something at that birth they'd not done at any birth here, I'm sure. Oh, they brought presents. They brought gifts. But did you notice they worshipped a baby? They knelt, they bowed down, and they worshipped a baby. The most unusual birth that ever took place. Unusual in all of these facets. Wait a minute. Jesus was unusual not only in his birth, he was unusual in his life. He said words no man could ever speak. Did you know Buddha, before he died, said, I'm still searching for truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the bread come down from heaven. Ye eat of this bread, ye shall have everlasting life. Jesus said, I'll put within you wells springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said things no man could ever say. Jesus did things no man could ever do. I'd like to have been with him many of those times. Can you imagine what it was like as he walked along the road? Oh, we always had a crowd with him. He was the miracle worker. And they were there by the thousands. You can count on it. People stood there because he fed the thousands. And there they walk, and all of a sudden he has a little procession coming toward him. It's just a small one, maybe four, five, six people. And they're coming down the line, and the one standing there with them is weeping. It's a woman. Jesus knows why, but for the people's sake, he says, why do you weep? She says, my only son is dead. They've taken him to the cemetery to bury him. Jesus said, don't cry. To the pallbearers, put the lad down. Son, come to life. The boy that was dead came to life. He walked into her room. He said, she's only asleep. They laughed him to scorn. They said, she's dead. He just put him out. He went up to the little 12-year-old girl, took her by the hand, and said, Arise. Daughter, arise! And the girl that was dead came to life. Stood by the grave that day, said, Roll away the stone. Lord, by now his body stinketh. He's been there four days. His body began to deteriorate, and he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Roll it away. They pushed the big stone to the side, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. The man that had been dead four days came to life. Never in the history of the world has there been a man like Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Unclean! Unclean! And people would back off. Why? The eyebrows had come out. The eyelashes had come out. No white spots. And all of a sudden, you could see on some of them as it had gotten farther and farther, the fingers deteriorating and literally rotting off the, off the hand, the feet. I saw a little boy whose part of his nose was gone. This part of his face was gone up to his ear. It's called leprosy, dreaded disease. They now have the, that which can arrest it and stop it. But then they didn't, and it was contagious as all get out. And so the person who had the disease had to walk down the street when people would come near, unclean, unclean, and they'd back off. He said, leprosy. And Jesus would go up to the leper. He could lay his hands on the disease. He didn't have to worry about catching it. He'd speak the words, and instantly the disease was gone. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd said, shut up, don't disturb the master. But he cried the more, have mercy, help me. Jesus stopped and said, tell the blind man to come to me. And blind Bartimaeus did something fantastic when you read the story. 
A lot of people don't realize when Jesus said what he did to Bartimaeus, he made this statement. Bartimaeus came to him, and they led him through the crowd. Jesus said, what would you that I should do for your blind man? He said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. In the original Greek, Jesus says, because of your faith, I must heal you. Receive your sight. How did Jesus know about his faith? If you read the story, Bartimaeus took his cloak off. That cloak was the color that said, I'm blind. And when they said, the master called you, he knew immediately, I'm not going to need this anymore. And he took it off and Jesus saw it and says, because of that faith, I have to. I am bound because I've made a promise. The most unusual man that ever lived, he healed the blind, the maimed, the halt, the dumb. He raised the dead. He spoke like no man ever spoke. There's never been a man like Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, this Jesus is on trial. Comes before Pilate. The witnesses start to come and Pilate listens. And Pilate wasn't stupid. He knew the witnesses were lying. They were perjuring themselves. Finally, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He's done nothing worthy of death. I'll just scourge him and let him go. The crowd's screaming, crucify him. Pilate's wife sends a messenger to Pilate. And he said, what do you want? Your wife says to tell you she's been warned about this man in a dream, have nothing to do with him. Pilate's now, what's he going to do? Hey, he's on a spot. What's he going to do? The crowd's going crazy, screaming for this man's blood. He doesn't want the Roman soldiers and the Roman leaders, which he is one, to get upset because there's such a tumult. He doesn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, he remembers Herod's in town. Ah, that's it. And he takes and he sends Jesus to Herod. Whew. But the Bible says Herod sends him back. Now what's he going to do? Now listen carefully, because I'm going to make a statement some of you may not like, but oh, it's as true as true can be. Pilate looks at Jesus, and he doesn't know what to do with him. The man is innocent, he knows that. He doesn't know what to do with Jesus. He's got himself in a situation that's a real embarrassment. He's literally ashamed of the mess he's in. What do I do with him? Do you know something? Riverside Baptist Church. You people sitting here this morning, in a crowd this size, I'm sure there are some of you sitting here this morning that are in exactly the same place Pilate was in, except you're a Christian. Now, you listen to me. But you're a Christian. You say, what do you mean? There are times you don't know what to do with Jesus Christ. There are times where you're embarrassed that you're a Christian. You're ashamed of your leader. You say, that's not true. I'll prove it to you. Let's pick on the teenagers for a few moments. Okay, gang, you go to school tomorrow. It's lunchtime. Whether you bring your bag lunch, you take it from the cafeteria, sit down at the table. As a Christian kid, what do you do? You bow your head to thank God for the food, do you? I'm not saying it to be smart. But if you're like most Christian kids, you don't. Or if you do something, you do it like this. And I'm not saying it to be funny. You rub your head. And while you're rubbing your head like this, you're breathing a quick prayer, Lord, you thank you for this food, hoping the gang didn't know what you did and hoping he understands. You bet your life he understands. You're ashamed of Jesus Christ. You're embarrassed that you're a Christian. Wait a minute. And the girls are as bad as boys in this, too. Sometimes even worse, I'm sorry to say. It's the dirty story time. Kids start telling their dirty stories in school. What do you do, Christian kid? You look at the kid and say, wait a minute, hold it. I'm a Christian. I don't listen to that kind of stuff. Excuse me. No. If you're like most Christian kids, you do what they call a half smile. This half smiles to the gang, say, I'm kind of grinning at that joke. And this half's not smiling. It says to God, you understand. He sure does. They can damn your 
They can damn your Savior. They can cuss him. They can talk about him. They can tell their dirty stories. And what do you do? Not a solitary thing. Why? You're embarrassed that you know Jesus. Oh, yes, you are. You're ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Wait a minute, Daddy. The guy's pumping gas in your gas tank. And all of a sudden you hear him say, Ah, Jesus Christ, what do you do? You pretend you didn't hear. Why? Because you're ashamed to take your stand for Jesus Christ. That's what's wrong with the Christian church. Wait a minute, Mother. That neighbor next door, you can talk to her about styles. You can talk to her about food. You can talk to her about recipes, kids. You can talk to her about everything. Have you ever told her about Jesus Christ? No. Why? Well, I'm not a preacher. That's a cop-out. Every single born-again believer has been called of God to be a witness. Jesus said, ye are my witnesses. Go ye into all the world. That's what's wrong with our Christian church today. We're putting the responsibility on the preacher. Now you're stuck. You don't have a preacher. Well, and then it's the job of the visiting preacher. Sorry, I got my own responsibility. I'm not taking yours. This is what's wrong with our Christian church. You're ashamed of Jesus Christ. Some of you people may have known my dad. I preached this funeral at his request. I could stand there and I could look at that great crowd of people and say, you all knew my father. He was a man that loved God. He witnessed every single person in this place about Jesus, because he did. Two weeks had gone by after Daddy had passed away, and I pulled into this golf gas station where Daddy always did his trading. The guy came to me, put up, put the thing, and he said, Hey, where's your dad? Oh, I said, he's in heaven. He looked at me with awesome respect, and he said, He was a holy man. I said, Oh, what makes you say that? He said, One day I told him a dirty story. He said, The dirty part didn't come to the last phrase. And he said, after I said the last phrase, I started to laugh. And he said, I looked at his face, and I stopped. He said, tears came to his eyes. He walked over, and he put his arm around me, and, me and he said, son, let me tell you about my Jesus. He said, he was a holy man. Let me ask you men something. Can your kids say that about you? My daddy's a holy man. My mother was the greatest prayer warrior I've ever met. She had a contact with her father that very few have ever had, I'm sure. I can look at my mother and say, there was a godly woman. Can they say that about you, mother? I'm an only child. I wish I'd had brothers and sisters to appreciate the godly family I had. Mom and dad like that. My, my heart's cry. I've got two sons of my own. Oh, God, if I die before the rapture, may they be able to stand by my casket and say, my dad was a godly man. I'm not interested in all the other plaudits that may come. That's not important. He was a godly man. And I pray for my kids. They'll be godly kids that's why we have devotions that's why we have mem bible memorization in our home doing everything i can by god's grace so my children will be reared in a place where they'll love the lord jesus what kind of a christian are you this morning hey the most unusual man that ever lived what are you ashamed of the way he lived he never committed a sin he never did one thing wrong i find no fault in this man god said this is my beloved son whom i'm well pleased what are you ashamed of the way he lived, shamed the way he died. Do you know what they did to him that day? They took him out, and the pilot said, I wash my hands of him. I'm innocent. The blood of this just man, see, he told it. A little over a year later, Pilate died of suicide. Look at his own life. They took the Lord Jesus Christ to the next room, another building, stripped him to the waist. They tied his hands to the sides, as they always did to the scourgers. He bent his body over in his position. From here up, he was naked. They took a whip that had four pieces of leather out of it. In those leather were pieces of flint and stone embedded. The Roman soldier noted for his strength, the body is in this position, comes up, whistles it through the air, and lets it slash down as hard as it can. It's long. 
and it's over four feet long, and it rips around the front. And then as, the, as gravity begins to pull it down, they yank it like this. So from here to here, front and back, they literally, literally tear them apart. Literally tear them apart. Now, well, wait a moment. It's all right. Babies are supposed to cry. But I don't want you to miss this. Devil does. He wants you to miss this, but I don't. From here to here, gang, he was, he was literally torn apart. Skin right off his, off his bones. From here to here. They weren't satisfied with that. That's all they did to the scourger, the one they were scourging. But with the Lord Jesus, they plucked the skin off his face. The beard, the hair, the skin was pulled, literally pulled right off his face. They smashed him with what it says reads in the Bible. Do you know those are literally bamboo poles? They took bamboo poles and they beat his face. Till his face was unrecognizable as a human. Oh, yes, that's what the Bible says. Isaiah, God said, write it. When they get through with my son, he won't even look like a member of the human race. They crowned him with thorns. Eight, six to eight inches long, and the blood ran down his face and down to his body. From here to here, he's covered with one mass of blood. Torn flesh, horrible to look at, and they bring him out. They say, Hail, King of the Jews. If we could see what Jesus looked like that day, some of the dear women here would faint that away. Some of you men would regurgitate and throw up, and some of us would not, we'd not be able to touch dinner. Such a horrible sight, literally tear a human apart like they did him. They took him to Calvary. He couldn't carry his own cross. After a while, he fell. It was too much. He'd lost so much blood. And they bring it and they lay it down and they nail him. Hands and feet. You can imagine the horrible pain he went through having spikes driven through his hands and through his feet. And then they tied the crucified. They always put ropes around the, the thing. People don't realize that, but they do. They used to put ropes around here, thongs, to tie him to the cross as well because the hole was three and a half to four feet deep. And they would take and they would hold that cross and men would pick it up. The Roman soldiers had the word of the captain. They'd jam it as hard as they could so that the pelvis and the shoulder bone would go out of joint. Oh, they were methodical and they had a reason for it. Shoulder and pelvis bone would go out of joint. And if you remember when the crucified came in time to take him down, they would take the mallet and they would smash the legs of the crucified. Why? Because if they took him down and they were not dead, they couldn't walk, their legs were broken, they couldn't crawl, they couldn't use their arms, their shoulders were out of joint. They were helpless. And you remember what they did? They came to Jesus to break his legs, but did you know a thousand years before, God said, not a bone of him shall be broken. A Roman soldier who would die for the emperor. He had his orders, break the legs of the crucified. They broke that one, they broke that one. They came to this one. I can see the mallet brought back. And God Almighty says, no. And they didn't dare. He puts the mallet down. The Bible says they'll pierce his side. Give me a spear. And they jam him to the side. Before he died, do you know what he did? He went through that whole ordeal, never whimpered, he never cried. As he's hanging there on the cross, all of a sudden you hear him scream, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which in English says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What happened? At that moment, God saw Jesus take all the sins of the world in his body. And God says, I can't poured out in wrath on Jesus Christ. The earth quaked and shook and Jesus screamed. And Jesus looked at the back of his father and turned his back on Why have you forsaken me? Jesus says, it's finished. I've taken all the sin. I've taken the wrath of my father. It's done. And he gave up the ghost and he died. And three days later, 
he arose and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for we born-again believers. I want to ask you a question. I want you to consider it. What are you ashamed of? The way he lived? What are you ashamed of? The way he died? I've got some news for you. He died that horrible death that you might not go to hell, and you deserve it. So do I. The Bible says all of us are sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not even one. God says from the sole of your foot to the head, there's nothing in you but wounds, bruises, and putrefying, stinking, filthy, messy sores that have not been bound up or mollified with ointment. God says you stink. You're rotten. You're filthy. You're corrupt. God says there's only one thing that can clean you, and that's the blood of my son. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth from all sin. God says if you don't accept that love gift of mine, which is Jesus Christ, God said I'm going to damn you to hell. And he is. You don't mock out his son. You see, unbelievers don't realize this. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ. You know what you're literally doing according to the Bible? Hebrews tells us you're putting the blood of Jesus Christ, God's holy son, putting it underfoot and saying it's dirty, it's filthy, it's vile. And God says you'll pay for that. What are you ashamed of, Christian? The way he died, died for you. This is a tragedy. Every single born-again believer here this morning, you ought in your heart, you ought to be so grateful that you're a Christian. You ought to be so thrilled with the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be so grateful that he took in your place on that cross and allowed you to have salvation. I can see why Dwight L. Moody, every time he read the crucifixion, he said, I could not help but the tears would flow down my face, that he would do that for me. And then you're ashamed of him. And you're ashamed of him. You'll let him damn your Jesus. You'll let him spit on your Jesus. You won't say a word. You won't bow your head and thank God for the food and be grateful you're a Christian. Let him know that you're a Christian. Oh, no. You won't. He never told me, but Mom told me. He started it when he was in public school, as he was taught, because he'd accepted Christ when he was four. Today he's a senior in high school. I don't suppose there's a kid in the school who doesn't know he's a Christian. He's the head of his Bible club. I don't know how many dozens of buddies he's won to Jesus, won five on his athletic team last week before last. I'm just thrilled he's going to a Christian college next year, wants to be a preacher, I believe. I thank God I got a boy like that. I thank God I got a boy like that. But oh, do I have a responsibility that he'll see Jesus in his daddy. He'll see the daddy take his stand and not be ashamed. Daddy will let the world know that he's a Christian. What are you ashamed of? He lived sinless, died for you, took the wrath of a holy God that you might make heaven. I'll tell you what you ought to be ashamed of, Christian. You ought to be ashamed of the way you've maligned him, the way you have failed to read this precious book, the way you have failed to be on your knees and intercede and talk to him in prayer. The, the times you've failed to say, Oh, Lord Jesus, I just want to tell you I love you. I learned a secret from Dr. Bill Stewart, great giant of God, great preacher, one of the greatest I've ever heard. He said, Wes, take time every day to just lay flat on your back, whether it be on the bed or on the floor. Just look up to heaven and do nothing but love Jesus. Just take some time to love Jesus. I said, I've never done that. He said, try it. 
I was out at his home. I said, I will. He says, try it this afternoon. So I did. Guess what I found out? Yeah, I had to use a handkerchief because the tears came. Because I just laid there and told Jesus what he meant to me. How much I loved him for what he'd done for me. And we had a fellowship that I hadn't had in I don't know when. People, we need to be in love with Jesus. Teenagers, kids, there are kids in your school that are going to a devil's hell. It's the most horrible thing the world will ever know. Tonight we'll talk a bit about it. They need to hear. Well, they're never going to hear from Christians like some of you here. You know it. You won't tell them. You're ashamed. Well, you know, one of the reasons you might be ashamed is that you're, maybe you're not saved. Now, wait a minute. Oh, right away I have people say, oh, I'm saved. Are you? Have you really been born again? Do you know? Jesus indicates that the majority of people that come before him at the great white throne are going to believe they're going to heaven. Matthew 7, read it yourself. 21, 22, 23, many will say to me. That's the same word that's used about many going to the broad road of destruction. Many will say, Lord, I prophesied in thy name. That means to proclaim the truth of the Bible. The pro prophecy is proclaiming the gospel. There are going to be preachers in that day who aren't going to make heaven. Many will say, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. You can't cast out a demon unless you do it in the name of Jesus and the blood that was shed. That doesn't make you a Christian did wonderful works in your name and all to all three who cry out like that all three of those things God's son says depart from me a worker of iniquity I never knew you why not been born again now wait a minute let me share something with you we have been handed a fourfold gospel now the gospel is Jesus Christ died was buried and rose again that's the gospel according to scriptures but we've been handed a fourfold application of the gospel and it's five now you listen carefully I'm not trying to make light of any organization that pulls out four. I'm telling you there's five in the Bible. I'm going to give them to you. Ask yourself, have you been born again? The first thing you've got to do, according to Scripture, is admit to God you're a sinner because God says all have sinned. All right. You say, I've done that, Wes. Have you? I've done it. Second thing you've got to do, according to the Bible, is to admit to God you can't save yourself. The Bible says not by works of righteousness, which you do, but according to his mercy, he saves you by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourself, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't work for your salvation. God said so. Three, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ alone can save you. Jesus plus nothing, because Jesus said, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. And God says, he that hath my son hath life. That's three. Let's skip four and go to five. You've got to receive Jesus. As many as receive Jesus, to them Jesus gives the power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. That's the fourfold you've heard, but you missed one. And let me tell you, don't ever, don't ever miss this. The counselors at Circle C Ranch, and we have the finest college kids you can want. We have 70-some staff in the summertime. They are trained to win souls, and over 500 were saved this summer. The kids winning them to Jesus. But let me tell you something. We train our counselors. Don't you ever leave out this other one. If you have just done those four things, you're not a Christian. Jesus said so. Luke 13, verse 3, verse 5, they're identical. Jesus said, I tell, I tell ye, ex nay, nay, N-A-Y-N-O, no, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know what repent means? Have a change of mind about sin. Turn from sin unto God. We got precious kids today. They're told all you got to do is accept Jesus and you're going to heaven. I got news for you, kids. You don't take your sin and Jesus and make it. You're going to have to turn your back on your sin. You're going to have to say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I worship that instrument. Four to five hours a day, I played and practiced that thing. I was going to have my name in lights. Wes Aramis 
my orchestra, Wes Aram, piano and orchestra. That was my life. Sixteen, I begged Jesus to save me. No deal. Why? I said, I'll be a Christian dance band leader. And I meant it. I wasn't being smart. God says, no. Klein Hands Music Hall. I was 17 years of age. John R. Rice was there. Strat Shoop out that great crusade. Over a thousand people were saved, and I was one of them. Sat in the last seat, the last row, and God broke my heart and made me realize I was going to a devil's hell. I was so scared, physically trembling, perspiration running down my face. I said, I want to get saved. You know, I've tried. And thank God for a faithful preacher. He says, you've got to repent. Forsake your stinking sins. And that night I said, Lord Jesus, I will give up anything. Just save me. Instantly I was converted. Before I ever got to the front, I was the first one down. I ran down there. And I remember John R. took my hand and said, here's a boy that really wants to get saved. I said, I sure do. Tears are running down my face. I want to get saved. I had to come to the place where I said, I'm willing to give up anything, Lord Jesus. Fine, Wes. Now I'll come in. If you haven't repented of your sins, you're going to die in your sins and go to hell. Jesus said so. I didn't. Don't, don't give me the credit for that. Jesus said it. You say, Wes, I'm saved. I've done those things. I've turned from my sin. I've accepted Christ. But I'm up and down and up and down and up and down. You know why? You've never given your body to God. You notice I didn't say life. You haven't that to give. Life and death's in the hands of God, and God doesn't ask you for your life. God said, write it, Paul, I beseech you, therefore, Christians, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not transformed to this world, but be, be renewed, giving your body. Romans 6, 13, yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He wants your body. I was 24 years of age when somebody told me this. His name was Dr. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian Missionary Alliance, now in glory. I said, Doc, I'm up and down. I want to live for God. Can you help me? He said, sure. I'll tell you what to do, Wes. He told me. He said, it won't be easy. You take and you get alone with God. Take your Bible, have a pencil and pad there, be ready to write, and say, God, turn the searchlight of the Holy Spirit on me and show me what's wrong. And he said, when he does, don't back off. Put it down. Apologize. Confess it. Repent of it. Put it under the blood. All of a sudden, you have to give something back. Write it down. i got to make restitution. you got to tell someone you're sorry. Admit it. Admit it. And when you're finally, everything's done. Take your body physically and say, Lord, I give it to you. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified. You pound the nails. You can't. He has to. You're the candidate. He pounds the nails. And a crucified man on a physical cross can't look back. The cross is behind him. Faced in one direction, the way the cross is faced. There's no future plans of his own. He's crucified. Same with a Christian that's given himself to God. You don't look back having put your hand to the plow. You're faced in one direction, heavenward. You have no, no future plans of your own. Lord, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, you fill what I've just given to God. And Ephesians 5.18 becomes your portion on a daily basis, and then you will know what it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because you're controlled by God. And kids, listen, we teach this at our camp. Let God, the Holy Spirit, program your life. There are so many benefits to being controlled by God, it's unbelievable. You'll be a blessed person, like I read this morning. And I'm not saying this to be smart, but young people, God will introduce you to the partner that's going to be your life partner. God's divine choice for your life partner. I know, I got God's choice. And I have, I have never been able to say thank you enough because God gave me the right choice. He puts you in the place He wants you for service. He'll give you the family He wants you to have that can grow up and be nurtured in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And He just takes care of that whole life. It's not easy. Bless it.
and oh, what God does. Now, let me ask you, shame to Jesus? Why? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. This morning, some of you, dear Christians, need to tell God you're sorry because you have double-crossed his son. Some of you Christians need to say, God, I'd like you to have my body. I'd like you to fill me. I'd like to be your boy, your girl, your adult. I want to be that kind of Christian. Some of you here need to make sure you're on the way to heaven because you've been counting on maybe mom or dad or some decision you made with some tears, but you've never repented of your sins and you better get saved because Jesus said if you don't, you're going to hell. You're going to perish. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will have done what Wes Aram cannot do. Speak to the hearts of these dear people. Oh, Father, this is thy work and the work of thy Holy Spirit. May it be done this morning. Heads about our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask a couple questions. I want you to answer them in your heart and be honest. Question number one, if you should die in the next five seconds, where would you spend eternity? Be honest. Don't raise a hand. There's nothing to raise a hand on. Where would you spend eternity? If you should die in the next five seconds, where would you go? God says, he that hath my son hath life. He that hath not my son hath not life. Do you really have the Lord Jesus? You say, Wes, I really do. I am a Christian. I am born again. I know I've repented of my sins and turned from I'm a Christian. All right? To you who are Christians and you know it, I want to ask you this question. Have you been ashamed of Jesus? Be honest. Hey, you're not kidding anybody. God knows the truth. Have you been ashamed of Jesus? Been embarrassed that you know him? You say, Wes, I really have. Well, let me ask you this morning. Would you like to get over that? Would you like to be through with that kind of living? Would you like to get on that kind of living that will help you to grow and grow and go for God? Become the guy, the gal, the mom, the dad, the adult, the young person God wants you to be. You say, Wes, I really would. All right, are you willing this morning, best you know how, are you willing to say to God, God, I'm going to let you search me out. I'm willing to forsake everything you show me, and I'm willing to let you have my body. I'm willing to let you control me. I want you to program my life. Now, if this is a sincere desire, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If this is a sincere desire, would you be so kind as to let me see your hand for a moment and put it right back down again? I want to pray for you. God bless you and you and you and you and you and you and you um, and you and you. You can put them down. Thank you. Any others? Wes, me too. I want to be that kind of Christian. Anyone else before I pray for these? I'm not, but I want to be. Anyone else? We're going to pray. Father, I pray for these. You know who they are. I don't. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you will give to them what you want them to have. Search them out. Show them what's displeasing to thee. And oh, for Jesus' sake, do the miracle that needs to be done in making them the kind of a Christian you want them to be. I commit them to thee, Lord, for the glory of Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. One more question. You're here this morning. You say, Wes, I'm not absolutely sure I'd go to heaven. In fact, some of you probably could say, I... I know I wouldn't. Let me ask you this. Would you like to make heaven? Would you like to be ready to meet God? You see, today could be your last day to live. could be my last day to live. We just don't know. Would you like to be ready to meet God? You say, Wes, I really would. All right, if you would, I'm going to invite you to pray a little prayer after me. Not out loud, but in your heart. Now, don't pray it out loud. You don't even have to move your lips. You can't think without using words, and God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you mean business... In your heart, not out loud, you pray this little prayer after me. Mean it, and God will do a miracle for you. If you mean business, you pray this little prayer after me. Not out loud, but in your heart. Dear God, the Bible says I'm a sinner. 
I believe it. The Bible says I cannot save myself. I believe it. The Bible says Jesus Christ died for my sins, that he has eternal life to give me. I believe it. Dear God, I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I forsake them. Wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life right now. I accept thee as my Savior and my Lord. I pray this prayer in your name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. One more question. And this is it. Did you pray that prayer this morning? Now, wait a minute. Did you mean it? You say, Wes, I not only prayed it, but I honestly meant it. While heads are bowed except mine, would you let me see your hand for a moment put it back down again? I want to pray for you. Wes, I prayed that prayer in a minute. God bless you, man. Anyone else? Just slip it right up and put it back down. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, gal. Any others? I want to make sure this morning, Wes, I prayed that prayer. Anyone else before I pray for these? I see it, pal. God bless you. We'll wait a moment. This is so important. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you, buddy. I'm glad I waited, sir. Someone else? I'm in business. I wasn't fooling. Anybody else before I pray? Lord Jesus, I see hands. You see hearts. I pray this morning the Holy Spirit will do the work. Who's done the work of regeneration will do the work of of regeneration to the extent that these will know without a shadow of a doubt they've been born again. Holy Spirit, this is your work.